Hi, I'm Gracie Sarkeesian, the Executive Director at the NYU Wasserman Center, and this is All in a Day's Work, the podcast we've created for you. The NYU network is expansive, and our alumni have an array of unique experiences. All in a Day's Work will bring you episodes featuring members of the NYU community doing interesting work and navigating the professional world. We're excited to share their stories with you. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of All in a Day's Work. My name is Emily Anderson, and I'm thrilled to be speaking with Natan Edelsberg, Chief Partnerships Officer at Muckrack, for today's episode. Natan, thank you so much for being here. Can you just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about um, what you currently do? Definitely. So, um, like you said, I'm the Chief Partnerships Officer at Muckrack. We are a PR software company. We enable organizations to build trust, tell their stories, and demonstrate the unique value of earned media. Um, practically, you know, our vision is to build software that helps uh, transform organizations and how they engage with the media um, and, you know, put relationships at the heart of PR. So we work primarily with PR and communications. Um, as the person overseeing partnerships, I handle um, everywhere from our sales partnerships to supporting events partnerships, as well as um, our international expansion efforts. Um, so that's a little bit briefly about what I do. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, so just going back to your experience at NYU, um, can you tell us a little bit about your undergrad program and, and share any information about any experiences that helped you get to where you are today during your time at NYU? So I owe a lot to NYU. So I'm, I'm really excited and grateful to share this story because I think the a lot of the reasons why I ended up in the career that I ended up because I was lucky enough to be at NYU. Um, so it all kind of all goes back to the fact that I'm a very proud native New Yorker. So I grew up um, on the Upper East Side. And when I was looking into what you know, what to do for college as a high schooler, I was lucky in that I realized that the Upper East Side and Greenwich Village more or less should be different countries. Um, and I really recognized that I wanted to stay in this powerful city and going downtown and exploring this new world would help, you know, introduce me to the world and give me the best shot at a great experience and a great career. Um, and I also am very lucky in that I come from a family of communications professionals. Um, my grandfather was at a PR agency for 40 years that he helped build, and my mom worked for several decades at MSL Group, another one of the big players. So I was around PR and communications, and um, you know, thanks to my mom and, and others, I was helped introduced to NYU's Media Culture and Communication Program, MCC, at the Steinhardt School, and it instantly felt like a great fit for me, um, and I was very lucky that I got into it. Um, and I'm still to this day not sure why they let me in, but I'm happy they did. And I had a really amazing four years where I, you know, majored in media culture and communication. I also did a minor in Tisch at the time. It was called the Open Arts Program, but the way it really complemented my major was it allowed me exposure to the film and television school, where I was able to, you know, take classes with producers, people from the entertainment world, a lot of courses that, you know, happen from like 6 to 9 p.m. after professionals in New York who were, you know, adjuncts got off of their day jobs and came to teach students. So 
it was kind of this amazing um, convergence of entertainment technology media that exposed me um, to the way the industry was changing and ultimately um, exposed me to meeting my current um, boss and CEO and the person who I've worked for for over 13 years now. Awesome. I also work closely with a lot of students in the MCC program. So I want to shout out the comms club. <laughs> um, yes. Um, the comms club is very near and dear to my heart. I was the uh, president of the communications club back in the day. And I, um, I'm proud that, you know, I was the first one to just go and make business cards that said president of the communications <laughs> club. So I had an easier time you know, getting into different events in New York City and acting uh, way more important than I actually was. Nice. That's awesome. Um, so you mentioned your relationship with your current boss. Can you tell us a little bit about how you fostered that relationship during your time at NYU and then ultimately how that led to developing a working relationship in, in the professional world? Sure. So one of the um, required, you know, classes for the Tisch minor that I did was called um, producing for television, um, and it was a great class. It was one of those classes that I was alluding to that, you know, it was usually six to nine p.m. Um, was taught from someone in the industry. Um, I'm still, you know, really close with the professor who taught that class. Her name is Randy Davis, and she still teaches at NYU. So I wanted to give her a shout out. And one of the great things she did was brought in outside speakers. Um, so, you know, one of the defining and most impactful moments in classes I went to was when we had two guest speakers come to our producing for TV class. The main uh, speaker was this uh, former journalist. He's now since retired, Bill Carter, who used to cover the late night scene for, um, you know, television. He would cover David Letterman, Jay Leno, all that kind of stuff, Conan O'Brien. And then they left kind of five to 10 minutes at the end for like a, you know, quote unquote, new media guy to come speak. This was in like 2008, 2009. And, um, I, you know, Bill Carter kind of gave this, you know, amazing story about how he covered the late night wars and how, you know, whether Jay Leno would be on TV at this time versus David Letterman at this time. And myself and all my peers, while we love those people and we're fascinated by his stories, you know, we were all kind of like, who cares what time of day someone is on TV? Even back then, YouTube was about four or five years old already. And everyone knew that the only thing that was really mattering for these late night hosts was um, what clip went viral. And if you saw it on YouTube the next day. So when this new media guy came on to speak for five minutes at the end, I was way more interested in what he had to say. Um, and he's my boss today. He had just launched um, our company's first business called the Shorty Awards, which honors the best of social media. Um, and he spoke about how he had launched this awards show out of a kind of weekend idea he had used Twitter to allow people to vote for the best people on social media. No one had done that before. It went viral. It got covered a lot. And here was this disruptive medium that he was trying to convince us to pay a lot more attention to. And I did pay attention. And I went up to him right after the class. I asked him for a business card. He said he didn't have any. I, I really just you know wanted to learn more. And it kind of... Uh, was was luckily very clear to me that what he was working on was way more innovative than most of the traditional media companies I'd learned about. Um, and then, you know, a couple of months later, I bumped into him at an Internet Week event. Um, he was impressed. I came up to him. I kind of hounded him again. Can I come intern for you? Can I come work for you? He was kind of like, well, I, we don't have any interns. I wouldn't know what to do with them. We're just a, you know, a small couple of people startup. 
But, you know, if you want to work on some projects for us, let me know. And, you know, one thing led to another and I, I started working for working on projects for Greg and our other co-founder and his business partner, Lee. And I started doing that on the side um, in addition to more kind of traditional internships. But I kind of did these projects everywhere from data work to networking to helping launch some websites. And I kind of got exposed to startup life, which um, was very, very well suited to me. So that's kind of how I got introduced and how I met. And I, I would have never connected with Greg if I hadn't gone to this class that day, paid attention to it, followed up with him. And, um, you know, I'm grateful that I had people around me who reminded me constantly, even as an undergrad, how you really got to hang on to all these early connections you meet. And, and this one connection turned out, you know, be the, you know, defining starting point of now what's been nearly a 15-year career working for Greg and Lee at both, um, you know, our original business, the Shorty Awards, and now, you know, more importantly, Muckrack, our uh, technology platform that I was describing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, kind of transitioning to your work at Muckrack, I think it's interesting and kind of rare these days that someone has been at the same company for, you know, their entire career. Can you tell us some of the elements of the roles that you've had at Muckrack that helped you feel fulfilled at just this one company? Sure. And yes, it is It is certainly rare these days to be at a company for that long. And I don't think there's a wrong or right reason, whether you're someone who, you know, changes jobs every couple of years, it stays at one. For me, the, the defining reason why I've uh, enjoyed and thrived and continued to stay at Muckrack for this long is because every few years, the company has changed dramatically in a good way. As a result, my role has had to change dramatically in a good way. So, you know, when I joined the company as the first employee, it was just me and the two co-founders, both working on the Shorty Awards part of the year, and then, you know, figuring out what to do with Muckrack on the side. And I got exposed to being a jack of all trades, and I got to do a little bit of everything. Um, eventually, as we grew a bit bigger, I took on the role of chief operating officer with a heavy focus on growing our revenue. And I was able to you know, help hire our first sales reps, our first, uh, you know, marketing team, and really develop out the core functionality that we needed to grow. Um, as we grew, you know, beyond about 50 people, um, it really became clear that my, you know, strong suit and my passion was in revenue growth and sales and, and customer success and account management. And so I, I kind of once again was able to grow and for many years oversee, oversaw our revenue. Um, I eventually became our chief revenue officer for a bit and took on the responsibility of hiring amazing leaders who we now have at the company who oversee our sales, our customer success, our operations. And then, you know, once again, in the last kind of two years, as the world changed dramatically, so did Muckrack. I'm very grateful that, you know, we've had leaders at our company who have just built a very successful business. We, you know, self-funded Muckrack um, up until last August when we took on our first ever investment. Um, and the benefits of that have been amazing. Um, you know, we haven't had to, you know, answer to anybody else, but we've also grown responsibly. Um, and as a part of growing responsibly, we've really put a lot of effort into our culture and giving employees trust. So probably at the center of our, our culture for the, you know, our company's history has been flexible working. 
Um, you know, we did have an office um, in Soho in New York before the pandemic, but we never required people to come to the office. We always allowed them to work from wherever we want, from wherever they wanted. And we always hired all across the, the country in different parts of the globe. And then when the pandemic happened and the world changed, we, we doubled down on that flexible working. We actually created the first ever work remotely forever pledge, and we got over 70 companies to sign up for it. Um, so we gave up our office and we, we committed to allowing our workforce to work flexibly while also giving them, you know, budgets for co-working spaces. I usually, you know, work out of a WeWork, um, budgets for getting together as teams and bonding and offsites. Um, so, you know, all of that is, is probably why I've stayed because I've always felt trusted. I've always been able to grow and evolve. And I've always felt that our company has been at the forefront of understanding what you need to do to retain employees. Never felt stagnant. I've never felt like I wasn't learning or being pushed to grow and improve. And whether you do that at one company or 10 different companies throughout a decade, I think it's important um, to be fulfilled in that you're doing that so you can grow as a person. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's important how as the company has changed, you know, your role has shifted in so many different ways that has allowed you to develop skills in all of these different areas and really become that jack of all trades. You spoke a little bit about some of the changes that Muckrack has undergone. I think with change comes challenges at times. So could you speak about some of the challenges that you faced in your career and and how you approached them? Sure. I think, you know, the, the challenges that I'm most proud of that I faced has been really recognizing that, you know, being at the same company for, you know, over a decade has meant that I really had to use outside resources as well as internal resources to help grow and learn. So going from you know a three-person company to a 250-person company over a decade plus has been a dramatic you know change for me, and and knowing how to you know operate in different aspects of the business at different sizes has certainly been challenging. Kind of making that shift from being more of an one-on-one entrepreneur doing networking, helping grow a business in the early days, to recognizing that the most valuable thing I need to do is help teach others what to do, help support others, and most importantly, recruit and hire the right people who are way better experts in certain areas of the business than I was or ever will be. To do that, I I had to take on lots of mentors. I'm grateful that I've had wonderful mentors who I've met, you know, through NYU, like, um, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm still in touch with the professor um, I had where I met my boss, Greg, Um, I also have benefited a lot from mentoring other students. I've been uh, a mentor in NYU's Violet Mentorship Program, where I've been paired with different MCC students, both undergrad and grads. And while I'm there to, of course, like hopefully help teach them something, it ends up always being an extremely mutually beneficial relationship where I learned through them too. And then I've also really been active in lots of different you know, networking groups. I think it's really um, admitting when you don't know something or you need to learn something. Absolutely. Thank you. How would you recommend students find a mentor today? I think the biggest approach has been kind of not being scared to ask for help and for mentorship, um, as well as 
you know, recognizing that it doesn't necessarily need to be super formal to be a great mentorship relationship. And it's simple things like being um, persistent and helpful in how you schedule with someone who's busy. Um, so when I um, took on a couple of mentors who were very senior at big companies and sales roles, I would really, you know, try and schedule it far out for them, keep it to 30 minutes, be clear in my email on what I wanted to go over with them and why I was reaching out to them. I always sent them thank you emails afterwards. I always took notes so I could remember the advice they gave me and potentially reference it at later times. I didn't, you know, bug them too often unless I really had a, a pressing question. And then most importantly, over my career, I tried to think of mutually beneficial ways to help them too, whether they were hiring for someone or there was an event we were both going to where I could, you know, invite them to what we were doing there. So I think it's kind of recognizing that, um, you know, both sides should be getting something out of it. And you should also be really clear in what you need. That's my advice. And I always like to share, I, I love helping connect people. I'm part of several different mentorship networks. And, you know, I encourage anyone who listens to this to feel free to reach out to me personally on LinkedIn or figure out my email. And um, I'm always happy to try helping you connect with mentors because people have done that for me. And I very much believe in, in doing that because I know how much it, it will help both sides in their careers. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, thank you for kind of offering that up to students. I always tell students like the best thing that you can show is just curiosity and that you're willing to learn and grow and um, kind of be exposed to all these different elements within the industry. So do you have any other kind of nuggets of wisdom or advice that you would give to a student looking to kind of break into the industry? So my biggest advice is when you're, you know, looking for a job or an internship or advice on what to do with your career, um, start by getting a little bit specific in what you want, even if it might change or might evolve. But the number one thing that I ask someone to do if they're asking me for intros or advice on internships or jobs is to make a list of anywhere from like 20 to 50 companies that you're really hoping to connect with. Also to like include a, just a sentence, maybe two at most, but no more on like why you're interested in that company specifically. Because ultimately, if you know I'm going to make an intro for you or someone else's, the intro is going to need to be very short. They're going to need to you know say something like, hey, I know this student, they're really interested in your company because X, would you be open to doing an informational session with them? And what's great about this is it's often a great way to learn why you maybe don't want to work somewhere because somebody doesn't have a great experience or doesn't give answers that you think they would. The biggest example of this is, you know, you have a dream job at this giant company, you really love the brand, you buy their products, then you talk to someone who works there and you find out the corporate culture isn't that great. You don't get to be so entrepreneurial. You're going to be forced to an office five days a week and it's going to take you 10 years to do anything impactful. Um, you might find that out and realize, well, while it might be cool to tell people I work at X company, actually working at it won't be fulfilling or make me happy. And so I think um, that that's probably my biggest recommendation is, is think about making a short and targeted list and using that as a starting off point to um, what you're looking to do. Kind of looking ahead, um, you know, we've talked a lot about your experience currently at Muckrack. What's next for you? Like, what's something that you're excited for in the next year or so? Or what, what can we look out for from you? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a fun question. So I'm excited about a lot of things. I think, um, you know, when it comes to muckrack in our industry, in the PR and communications technology world, I think it's never been a more exciting time. Um, PR and communications is looking for more innovative tools, generative AI tools like ChatGPT are, you know, starting to create new opportunities to build technology. We, we recently launched our first ever, um, you know, AI press release generator called PressPal.ai, which has gotten a lot of buzz. Um, and there's really exciting things happening in the technology space. I've been so impressed with the students that I've, um, you know, mentored over the past couple of years, what everyone's, you know, what, what students at NYU and everywhere have gone through in the last couple of years is literally unprecedented. And the fact that, you know, people got through the pandemic and lockdowns and stayed positive and are still building their careers and getting great jobs is really um, a, a proof of how, you know, valuable the education and experience at NYU really is. Um, so I think, you know, seeing this new generation and, and people pivoting their careers and coming into PR and communications, um, especially is really promising because, you know, video editing skills are more native and natural, like understanding the importance of AI and just truly uh, getting through a crisis. You know, I, I was kind of entering the workforce during the recession um, in 2008, which was a scary time. Um, but I remembered it also led led for opportunity and innovation and, and the, you know, people coming out of NYU today and going through your programs are going through, um, you know, they're going through a potential recession, they're going through a post-COVID economy. There's so much being thrown at them earlier in their careers that it's just really amazing how they're pushing through it and continuing to help push things forward. So I'm really excited about this next generation. I'm grateful to be you know, a mentor to some of them and, and continue to see them join our workforce as we hire. So that, that's definitely what excites me the most. Awesome. Yeah. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me and share about your experience with the NYU community. This has been Emily Anderson with another episode of All in a Day's Work. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about the services that are offered at the Wasserman Center, you can log into our career portal, Handshake, through your NYU homepage. Today's episode was hosted by Emily Anderson with episode guest Natan Edelsberg. We're produced by Sarah Rosenthal and Sean Merchant and edited by Sean Merchant and Ben Barsalai. That's all in a day's work. Thanks for listening.